0: So today, as you can see from uh, the bulletin, we are looking at the subject, the cleansing of the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, in a special way, ask you now, Lord, to draw near to your manservant. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, and may some heart be touched today, O God, with a call to holiness. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your holy presence, Lord, will speak to each heart and strengthen your manservant, I ask again, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the cleansing of the church. What is the church? uh, Oh, did I hear a response? Oh, I thought I heard a response. Um... Church. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia. Um, Ek means um, out, and clay means to call. That's from the Greek. So, ecclesia means the called out ones. A church is an assembly or congregation of people drawn together and unified by a common purpose, a common goal, by a core set of. Beliefs. Very happy and excited to see that here we are making copies of the uh, 28. Right now, 28 fundamental beliefs. Uh, thank you for doing that. I was really inspired to see that you're making that available to every member of the church for a cost of what? Only five dollars. I'm really impressed by that. And I, 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 right now I have a. I spent some years walking through at Apple Creek when I was there uh, from cover to cover Uh, we just took Sabbath afternoons studying the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and so I'm just encouraging you not only just to acquire the book but to use it and study it and it's probably a good idea if you would consider that is to have a a series uh, and walk through that book cover to cover so thank you for doing that. I'm really impressed by that. And so many of us, as we continue, many of us think of the church as a building. And as we drove in, uh, we were looking for a building that looked like a church, and then we saw the, the, the address and the building. But, my friends, it's okay if we refer to this as a church. That's fine. It's a church building. Okay, As long as we have a full and balanced understanding of what church means. The building or place of assembly certainly is important. God himself did give clear instructions to his people back over in uh, Exodus. We'll see that. uh, That God said to them very clearly that they should build a sanctuary, a temple, so that he could dwell with them. However, it's critically important that we understand that the church is us, all of us, together, constitute, make up the church. Amen? That's right. Whether we have a building or not, we know that there are some places where people uh, don't have a church building. Some people worship under trees. You watch 3ABN and so forth and Hope Channel, I hope, right? And you see that. In, 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 in some places, so whether there's a building or not, there is a church when people come together to worship God. That's a church. The people who have been called out, called together, and who assemble together as you worship, whether it's in a home, in a basement, under the tree, or under the stars, uh, that's a church. Ephesians. Chapter 2, 19 to 22 says, You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too, Paul writes, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. So, my friends, whereas the building where God's people meet to worship must be clean and must be in good order, as is your your structure here today, your church. Oh, my friends, the reality is that God wants his people to be clean. Are you with me? Yes. So we want our church building to be wonderful, beautiful, meticulous, spotless, and so forth. But God not only wants us to stop there, He wants us, in our lives, our character, should be spotless. Fully dedicated and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that you had, it's a beautiful edifice. I'm sure that you had a, a, a service of dedication for this church, didn't you? Oh, no response. I'm sure you did. <laughs> okay, maybe you haven't done that yet. Okay. Uh, maybe this is, we don't want to respond. That's all right. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, but my friends, you know, um, the sad reality is that sometimes there's a lot of dirty stuff in our lives. In our thoughts. In our homes. That's the sad reality. That dirty stuff is called sin. You know sometimes church members uh, ask. What are the elders and the pastor doing about brother so and so. Or sister so and so. Um, Everybody's talking. About what's going on. The gossip is going Everybody knows what's going on. What's, what's happening? What is the church doing about this situation? And, and, and I want us to, to, to be very clear, my friends, that yes, there is a place for that. And that is called accountability. And sometimes discipline is needed. But I want to say, my friends, that the discipline that we are talking about here is loving, redemptive discipline. By the way, can I just say this? One of the things uh, that I have noticed over the years as an ordained elder and who served uh, for many years and so forth, one of the things that bothers me really is that we have moved from one extreme to the other. There was a time when if there were issues that warranted uh, discipline, redemptive discipline, it was dealt with by the church board. And it was taken to the church in business and and so forth. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah? But I think we've gone to the other extreme now. Well, once there was the extreme where, oh my, if you did something, you're out of the church in some places. Well, we've gone to the other extreme now where there are things that are very glaring and in front of us, clear to view, but we just let it go. We just carry on as usual. And God has called us to hold each other accountable, to reach out to each other. If, if there's a brother or a sister who's falling away from God, maybe you have become entrapped in some sort of difficulty, a sin, an addiction, whatever it is, we ought to go out in love and pray before you go and reach out and allow that person to experience your love and the collective love of the body of believers. That is called redemptive, and a, a redemptive approach. And yes, we're holding persons uh, accountable. And you know what the church manual says. Sometimes there may be a room or a need for the person to be disfellowshipped. But the disfellowship doesn't mean that there cannot be reconciliation. I hope you're with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from from God? He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And understand here, my friends, that God is declaring what He wants you to. Uh, that He wants you, rather, and your body and your life to be His temple. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. He wants us to be His temple. Okay? And so, His sanctuary, He wants His church where He dwells. How many of us can truly reflect and say, yes, I am. This body is a temple of, Of the Holy Spirit where God dwells. I want us to reflect seriously about that because that's what God wants. So this is important, the structure, but what is most important is each one of us and our lives. Am I a temple of the Spirit of God? Does God dwell in my heart? The church will not be clean until the garbage is taken out of each of our lives. We need to ask Jesus Christ to cleanse us. And Jesus cares deeply about cleansing His church. His first work of cleansing is described in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Where the Bible says, my friends, that at the very moment when we accept Jesus Christ... Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says, at that moment of acceptance of Jesus Christ, embracing His love and saying yes to the call of Holy Spirit, at that moment we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Sealed, in in, in other words, my friends, instantaneously. And this is why I am a Christian. I don't have to go through any kinds of rituals and, and process and journeys and so forth before I can be accepted by God you know, the, you remember the story of the thief on the cross in a moment of his acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as the Messiah he, sa- he turned and he said Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and instantaneously it happened Jesus saw and felt a, a, an honest heart repentant heart and in that moment, Jesus promised him eternity. Promised him that, yes, there's a place. He says, I tell you today, I'm telling you, you shall be with me in paradise. Amen. I praise God for the, for the message of Christianity. We cannot work our way into heaven. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 says, So I praise God that I'm a Christian and for this religion, Christianity. So my friends, the first work of cleansing, my friends, where one is declared righteous is called what? Justification. Amen. Justification where one is declared righteous. Justification is the imputed righteousness of God. We didn't deserve it. But God, once we say call call out to Him and say, Lord, I accept your love. I confess all my sins before you. Please forgive me. In that very moment, what happens is that Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes and He clothes us, metaphorically, figuratively speaking, with His perfect robe of righteousness, His character. And so God looks upon us in that moment as perfect. That's the beautiful message. That's a beautiful message. And so, my friends, one stands... Having been declared righteous, having the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. Oh, my friends, in that very moment, one stands before God as if one had never sinned. That's how God sees you in that moment. And now Christ, having justified us, now Christ has to do something in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse verse 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Nobody can point a finger. And it says here, Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that Jesus came on a rescue mission to planet Earth, to save and to redeem all of us, all who would choose to respond to that loving call and invitation. And I praise God for that. Oh, my friends, here in this passage, we see the first work of cleansing. That is justification that we just described. Oh, yes, followed by the second work of cleansing, and that is? sanctification amen and sanctification is that continual progressive cleansing process that god takes us through as we yield our lives to him day after day moment by moment funk and wagnall's uh, new standard dictionary says that sanctification is the gracious work of the holy spirit whereby the believer is freed from sin and exalted to holiness of heart and life This is imparted righteousness. Justification is what? God imputes. It's a gift that God gives. God credits it to our account. And then, of course, there is imparted righteousness, which is consumed in glorification. You know the three, as old-time 7th Adventists, we know that, right? So there's justification, sanctification, and glorification that we yet look forward to when Jesus shall come. Amen? Praise the Lord. Oh, I I get excited about when I study the Word of God about concepts like these that help us to understand how God, how much God loves us. And He has done everything possible and is doing everything possible to ensure that all who would choose to avail themselves of that free offer, the gift of salvation, will have it. And we have the assurance now that we are His children. He is our Father praise god oh yes you know him um, uh, 412 says look upon jesus sinless is he and this is a this is a prayer isn't it Father, impute his life unto me. But let me not read all of it or go through all of that. Just one part says, justified by his life. <laughs> Get that? Okay. Justified by his life. And number two, sanctified by obeying his word. And the song, it just captures all of the concepts in one hymn. And it says, glorified when returneth my Lord. Amen, amen, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says, The word of God, the word of God here calls us to present our bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God every day. Oh yes, every day, every moment of our lives. And he has promised that he's able to keep us from falling. What a reassurance. He says, I am able to keep you from falling. And you know what that is, backsliding. Yeah, being messed up again and becoming entangled with the snares that the devil sets in our path. Even before we wake in the morning. Every moment. And then we have in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The apostle Paul says, I am what? Crucified with Christ. That is death to self. That's what he's talking about. Self has died. All of my evil inclinations. And all of the things that I'd love to do. And want to do. That's gone now. That's dead. Dead to sin but alive to God. Romans chapter 6, 11, and 12. You might want to make some notes if you care to. My friends, this is God's plan to deal with every sin in our lives. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 300. She says, quote, The proud heart strives to earn salvation, but both our title for heaven, which is what? Justification and our fitness for heaven, which is what? Sanctification, okay? Are found in the righteousness of Christ. Oh, yes. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness, she says, and stripped of all self sufficiency. I can do it all myself. Unless we are stripped of all self sufficiency as we are stripped of all of that he and we yield he says he yields himself to the control of god and then he can receive the gift that god is waiting to bestow and she continues from the soul that feels his need nothing is withheld all of the gifts and promises and all of the love every drop of love from him is ours praise god And then she quotes from Isaiah 57 and verse 15. says, For thus saith the High and Holy One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite heart and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. End of quote. How can we know that we are moving in the right direction? Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 answers that question, I believe. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. Our beliefs and our experience is anchored in our relationship with God. Every man, oh I, I could go on every the Bible tells us very clearly that every human being has received a measure of faith. isn't that wonderful everyone there is a seed of faith, mustard seed if you would if you would, but God has given that gift to every human being so that they can respond I choose to respond or not. Hmm. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God's work of cleansing His church. But notice, my friends, our faith is made perfect in works by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We've studied that over and over. The whole concept, righteousness is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not by our works. Ephesians chapter 2, we know that very clearly, what that says. And so now, my friends, in in, uh, John chapter 2, 13 to 17, I want us to reflect on this story, this record in the Gospel of John when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and in the temple courts Jesus found people. Oh, there was a marketplace. Uh, yes, He found men selling cattle and sheep and oxen and doves and others were, were, were sitting at uh, tables exchanging money. And what did Jesus do? You know the story well. Yes, he got some cords and he plaited it and he, whatever he did, and he made a whip, didn't he? <laughs> oh yes, he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the and, and the tables. He turned over the tables, if you will. Huh. <laughs> I know, my friends, to those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market! This episode of Jesus driving people out of the temple shows, my friends, that Jesus refuses to put up with sin and impurity in God's temple. And I hope you understand that every time I make reference to God's temple, that we are also not talking about the physical structure, we're talking about our lives as individuals. Yes, and sometimes God has to discipline us as individuals, because there is impurity in our lives and in our character. How dare we use God's temple, this precious gift of this body, any way we want to, put anything in it, expose it to anything through the avenues of the soul, the eyes, our hearing, what we see, what we read, and so forth. I hope you're following with me closely today, friends. How dare we do that? It is impossible to have a clean character without the Holy Spirit. A Christian, by definition, should be filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore should produce the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? As we have there in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and goodness, and kindness, and all of those temperance. You know, all the various uh, uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Hmm. So, my friends, I want to uh, go now to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? It's a question to every one of us. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. End of quote. Now, if you would indulge me a little bit, what are the agents of uh, cleansing? Um, my wife is here, and uh, she can tell you that I am one husband who gets involved with cleaning, helping to clean. Okay, I don't leave it on my wife alone. So, so, so when we talk about when I ask about the agents of cleansing, I think you can relate to me if you if you're involved in that, of course, right? I I, I name I named a few here. How many of us know them? yeah Ajax (laughs) okay bleach right agents of cleansing you know the other things that we need we need scotch bright okay I think some people are with me J cloth and so forth and sometimes we might get some old rags and so forth that we can use to to clean and and help us in that whole process and of course what else (laughs) yes of course and then of course there's water right water Okay, and I hope you see the significance of water as we talk about cleansing, okay? Baptism, okay. Anyhow, my friends, so number one, we start with the blood of Jesus Christ. That cleanses us from all our sin. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 to 12 tells us that when Jesus as our high priest entered the heavenly sanctuary. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. Not the blood of animals now. But he entered into the most holy place once for all by his own blood. That's right. That was the outpouring, the offering. That is the outpouring of his life. The outpouring of his life and Calvary's cross. Oh yes. For our cleansing. Having obtained eternal redemption for all mankind. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we understand the significance of blood. What is that? The Bible says very clearly that life is in the... Blood And so, my friends, Jesus having poured out his life as a sin offering, his blood was shed in Calvary for us. He took the fall for us. I've been saying that for many years to young people. Jesus took the fall for us so that we might live. Praise God for that. Secondly, my friends, so number one, we see the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Number two, secondly, Jesus uses his word to cleanse us. I hope that's not a new concept. Jesus uses his word to cleanse his church and to keep it, what? Clean. Now look at Psalm 119. My son uh, had this memorized uh, in grade school, Psalm 119, 9-16. How can a young man cleanse his way or keep his way pure? And it answers, my friends, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then the psalmist goes, breaks out in praise and he says, Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I hope that this would be our commitment. For every one of us here today. To hide God's word in our hearts. And how do we hide our, God's word in our hearts? In our minds? By studying diligently. By committing as many as we can to memory and when temptations come my friend god's word that lives in us and actuates and lives because the holy spirit is the one who who hides it in our hearts as we and as we study it my friends he embeds understanding and then my friends we can ward off with successfully in the precious name of jesus in his power we can say no to satan's temptations praise god my friends we're living in a world that is in a a, a society that is surrounded by a sea of iniquity. Elder Ross made mention of the horrible killing and shooting down in the States. So much is going on, my friends. Everywhere we look, we're tempted to drift toward impurity. And you don't need me to itemize what some of those things are. But there's evil. We're, We're surrounded by evil and impurity and immorality. How do we stay clean in a filthy environment? We, can, we cannot do this on our own, but must have counsel and strength more powerful than the tempting influences around us. And so where can we find that strength and wisdom? It is found by reading and studying God's Word and doing what it says through the power, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. For the blessed work of sanctification is, uh, is wrought in our hearts by the power of the Spirit of God through His Word. And when we delight ourselves in God's Word, we hide it in our hearts. We meditate, my friends, upon it. We share it with others and we live it and live by it. When we eat up God's Word, we will rejoice in the blessings that living by God's Word brings about in our lives. And you know, I'm reminded of the passage, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 15 or 16, you can look it up. Jeremiah says, he declared, he says, I found thy words, and I did eat them up, and they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Oh, that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians would find joy and excitement and inspiration By dwelling in God's Word. Reading it and studying it and praying for understanding. And Holy Spirit attends us every time we come to the Word of God prayerfully. Seeking His understanding that only He can give. He, after all, right? Is the author of the Word. The Holy Spirit. That's right. See that in Peter. But I hurry on. The Word of God brings conviction. And if we fail to respond to this conviction... What are we doing? We're hardening our heart. And thus place ourselves in deception. We may still call ourselves Christians. We, we, we may still go to church services. But unknowingly my friends. We are far from the Lord. Reflect on that. Hmm. I'm going to set aside what is coming. In, in my mind to say. But I cannot go too too long. But Look at this my friends. Jesus has yet another method, uh, as I move on, for cleansing his church, and that is separation. I'm not asking you to invite me back, but if you invite me back, the next sermon, if you invite me back, will be the shaking and the sifting, if you invite me back. I'd like to come and preach that message with you. There is a process of separation. Separation. God cleanses His His church through a process of separation. Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 34. And it says here, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will do what? Separate. Uh, the people one from another. As a shepherd uh, separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation or the creation of the world. My friends, let us not be one of those who fails to respond to Jesus' cleansing by His blood, Cleansing by his word, by his conviction through the word of God. Let us, my friends, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the anchor and hope of our soul. Get rid of impurity in our lives. It's a challenge to all of us. It's a call of the Holy Spirit to every one of us. And I hope and pray, my friends, that we will respond. Our hearts will respond to these words. To so this message from the Word of God and from the Spirit of Prophecy. I want to declare, by the way, if I may, didn't plan to, but I, I want to declare, I, as a Seventh of the Adventist, I believe in the inspired writings of the Servant of the Lord, Ellen G. White. There are many voices turning away and berating the Spirit of Prophecy. But I'm going to tell you with every conviction in my heart today, Ellen White was called by God. And her messages are applicable and are from God himself. I'm very passionate about that just because I've heard so many dissenting voices. But each of us will have to make our own decisions. I'm just declaring mine publicly. I have no question about the inspiration of the writings of the servant of the Lord, called to be the prophet of the remnant. And so, my friends, I I hurry on. It doesn't matter how broken down or dilapidated we may feel as God's dwelling place. Yes, I'm God's dwelling place, but sometimes I feel so far from God, and I, I get myself messed up in all kinds of sin. You know, you might be saying that. you might be That might be going through your mind. But it does not matter, my friends, because He has already declared that you are His house. You are His dwelling place. You are His church. You are in my house, he's saying. I dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit is in the, biz- in the business of rebuilding broken down walls, you see. He restores broken lives. He is continually at work on the house. Oh, yes, oh, yes. The devil can lie and accuse all he wants. We are still the Lord's house, his dwelling place. Jesus is going to clean His church with His blood and with His Word. For he's coming back to present to Himself a radiant Holy Bride, His church. We read that and I look at it again. Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ, what? loved the church and gave himself up for her, the church, to make her what? Holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Listen now, don't miss this. As a radiant church without stain. The King James Version says without spot or wrinkle, okay? (laughs) Or any such thing. Or blemish, the NIV says, but holy and blameless. Now this is a declaration from the word of God. Why should we have any question then about God's capacity to make his people perfect and holy? I'm getting there. What does uh, uh, God's word mean when it declares that Christ will present to himself a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? It means, and I quote now from Ellen White to answer that question, and this is Manuscript Releases, uh, Volume uh, 14, and here's what Ellen White, how she answers that question of mine. It says... It means that God's people can, listen carefully my friends, because in some circles, people misunderstand this whole issue about perfection. And, and, and I cannot say that in one sermon. I'm going to clarify th- that for those who may be questioning. But my friends, I want to at least plant the seed in your heart to think about it some more. And if you invite me back, I'd be happy to delve into that, maybe in a Bible study if you wish. But my friends, look at it. It says, it means that God can and must reach, God's people, God's people can and must reach the standard of Christian perfection. Pen of inspiration. But in order to do this, they must learn of Christ, his meekness and lowliness. And she continues, this is life eternal, the Savior said, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Oh, my friends, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? <laughs> Will he find you when he comes back? Will he find you radiant, uh, uh, shining in the glory of his presence without stain or wrinkle or any blemish? Will he find you clean, holy and blameless? Oh, my friends, now is the time to get ready. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, he says, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Now, if, 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 if perfection were not possible, why would we be hearing from the Word of God the Holy Scriptures and the pen of inspiration? And this is just a drop in the bucket. First John, sorry, yes, First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I believe it and I claim it. In my prayers, often at home, in, in family worship with my wife and our son, my friends, we thank God for the assurance and the promise That He has promised that if we confess our sins and forsake them, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we thank Him for the forgiveness that He gives to us. The washing that He gives us. the, the, The new page that He gives us every time we come to Him. Praise God for that. Oh, my friends, my brothers and sisters, let the Lord clean you up, His church today. Confess your sins and repent and seek Him with all your heart again. Tell the Holy Spirit you're sorry that you have grieved Him. And ask for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Ellen White says that we should pray daily. How often? Daily for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I remember when my son was was 15 years old. We were getting up at 6 o'clock every morning until just recently because now he's off to university and so sometimes he has to leave very early so so now we have to be a little bit more flexible with when we have worship when we can pull everybody together but my friends i used to pray in my prayer Here's my wife every day in our morning worship get up at six o'clock and i'd always include in my prayer lord baptize us as individuals afresh today with the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us your Holy Spirit baptism. Our hearts were so overjoyed because we took turns. We would say one morning, okay, my wife would pray another morning, I would pray another morning, okay, son, you pray. And when, as a 15-year-old, having heard mom and dad praying, including in our prayer, every morning for that fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, and when I heard my 15-year-old son that same prayer to give to us the baptism of the Holy Spirit which we had explained to him my heart was filled with joy. Praise God. We ought to do that my friends. Pray earnestly every day for the baptism a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 19 oh my friends 11 to 13 he says cleanse me from secret faults. Secret sin. Mm. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. What is presumptuous sin? Here's how I describe it and have been describing it to teenagers over the years and in Bible class at church. Presumptuous sin is that you're tempted, you're fully conscious, with two eyes wide open. This is wrong. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You know it's wrong. But you go ahead and do it anyway. That is presumptuous sinning. And David the psalmist says, he cries out, cleanse me. And he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Mm. You know, there's a, pi- a point when, you know, the, the, you know, those of us, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a pastor. But, but you know, my friends, uh, the concept of sin in the original language means What? Missing the mark. So those of us who do darts, or if we, whatever, target practice, when you hit the bullseye, right, you hit the mark. So what happens is that if you, if sin is here understood, if you just went shy of the target, right, that is where the concept of sin comes from. That is, you have missed the mark. But my friends, when we go to the point where we know what is evil, we know what is sin, and we go ahead and we do it anyway, that is not missing the mark. You are not aiming for it. Are you with me, everybody? So, there, so, so what I have been saying over years now, from a lot of study over, uh, over the years, is, is that there comes a point that David talks and the Bible talks about iniquity. Iniqu- that's how I characterize iniquity. You know it's wrong. But you go and do it anyway. I'm not trying to set up a a tiered system. But there is something really egregious and heartbreaking. When somebody knows and the Holy Spirit of God is there always speaking to you. And pleading with you, don't go in that direction. Don't do that. You go ahead and you know two eyes wide open. You can't come back and say, oh, I just made a mistake. No, it was planned. No, you thought about it and the Holy Spirit spoke to you but you went ahead and did it anyway that is iniquity presumptuous sinning and yet God in his love and mercy if you come to him in sincerity he washes you again and say come my child he embraces you again because he wants you as his church to be clean I'm coming down to the end now the question my friend is Is perfection really uh, possible? Mm. (laughs) We can have the victory, my friends, over sin in this life, yes. The issue is, do we believe it? Do we believe that we can attain sinlessness and and moral perfection in this life? Perfection is described as a state of moral purity in our character by the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to follow with me as I wind down. We're not here talking about being physically perfect because when will that happen? For those of us who are waiting for the Lord Jesus. That physical uh, perfection happens when Jesus comes again, as Paul declares in that wonderful, I call it the resurrection chapter, First th- uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, and so forth, right? And, and my friends, that happens, physical perfection, because God is calling us to moral perfection, purity in this life. And But we will only be fully, 100% perfect, in terms of the physical aspect, when Jesus comes again, when this mortal shall have put on immortality, and this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, So I'm sharing with you from my heart that I believe that the Word of God, we're coming to an end, that the Word of God clearly states and the spirit of prophecy writings are all in the same path that perfection, moral perfection in this life is possible and will happen before Jesus comes. When Jesus in the Revelation 22 Let him that is filthy be filthy still. And he that is righteous be righteous still. Jesus has not come yet, by the way. That's a declaration that happens in heaven. Okay? But my friends, when Jesus comes, He's coming back for a church that is, we just read in Ephesians, that is spotless, unblameable, no blemish. It is possible. We can't do that, but God does it in us and through us so I believe it is possible my friends okay here's what Ellen White says in heavenly places page 61 moral listen carefully you can write it down and check it yourself in heavenly places page 61 Ellen White says moral and spiritual perfection through the grace and power of Christ is promised to all who believe amen I accept it as a wonderful good news there's hope for me Yes, there is. Praise God. And those, and she continues now in Manuscript Releases, uh, number volume 14. Those who are connected with God's service should be sanctified, soul, body, and spirit, else they will mar God's work and put Christ to open shame. Listen to this now. I conclude with this part of this quote. The perfection of Christ's character... Let me start again. The perfection of Christ's character makes it possible for us to gain perfection. End of quote. Why would we be called to become partakers of the divine nature of God if it's not possible? The Bible is replete with evidence after evidence and the spirit of prophecy that we are being called to moral perfection in this life. Before translation to glory, and it is possible through the power of God. Can I just give you one quick one? Just here, here, here. well, um, well, I just I'll, I'll just simply quote. I'll just drop that out and just go to Matthew chapter five. What Jesus Himself says. What did He say in Matthew chapter five, verse 48? He says, He says, "Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect." Oh yes, Ellen White commenting on this says that God, as God is perfect in His sphere, so man, so human beings uh, uh, are expected to be perfect in His sphere. That's right, it's right there, my friends. Ellen White says that very clearly. And it says, and this is medical ministry, pages 112-113. Go and read that all on your own. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Let us go on to perfection. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, 27 to 28 says, We preach Christ warning and teaching that we may pre- present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14 tells us to deny worldly lusts and live godly in this present world and that Jesus who gave himself for us will purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. One more. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, God says, be ye holy. For I am holy. If it was not possible, why would he command it? Why would he call us and invite us to that experience if it's not possible? This is the word of God. God's standard, my friends, for his people is holiness, nothing less. Mm, Ellen White is very clear that no sins of any kind, my friends, will be committed by God's people after probation closes. Such statements as the, uh, uh, as this, my friends, as the following make it clear that the saints will have ceased committing sin entirely when probation comes to an end. And here it is. Early writings. I'm coming to a close. Bear with me. I saw that none could share the refreshing. What is refreshing? The outpouring of the latter rain. The outpouring of the latter rain. Oh yes. And it says, it says here, Let me go back here. I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained the victory over every besetment over pride, over selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. Early writings, page 71. And she continues, Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the heavenly sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their character must be purified from sin, my friends, through the blood of sprinkling. Uh, she continues, Through the grace of God and their own diligent efforts, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil while the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven she says while the sins of penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary there is a special work of purification of putting away of sin among God's people upon the earth Oh, my friends, this is the final test. We have to be purified of every stain of sin so that we can be ready for the outpouring of the latter rain so that we can give the the loud cry message. Mm. The loud cry is to prepare the people for the harvest, to proclaim the mystery of godliness. And she says in great controversy, she says, when this work shall have been accomplished, the followers of Christ will be ready for His appearing. I praise God for that. (laughs) Oh, my friends, I want to close now. The Laodicean message rings forth more stridently. When seeing in light of the sanctuary doctrine, he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come in and will sup with him. Today, the question for all of us is, are we ready to say yes? Is there somebody who needs to recommit, make that commitment right now? Just put your hand up and down, that's all. Are we ready to say, yes, Lord, my heart is open, the door is open, please come in. I want to have that personal relationship with you, and I want your sanctifying, purifying power so that as your church, as an individual, oh God, you would dwell, be pleased to dwell in me and walk with me and journey with me every day Unto life eternal. Is that our desire today? Just put your hand up before God. Praise his name. Thank you so much. May God bless you. May we continue to pray for each other. Support each other as we journey on to the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Amen.